The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome back to the Things We All Carry. This is kind of a surprise and I'm caught completely, well, not caught off guard because it's my choice to do it, but I've decided to release uh, a, my first new episode of the year. And this is, this is one I recorded last year at some point. I don't remember what time or excuse me, what day or month this was, but it was recorded a while ago. And, uh, it's an interesting conversation with, uh, a gentleman who works for an organization called Leashes of Valor. His name was Chris Bowers and. I will, uh, I'm not going to stumble over his title because I don't have it right off the top of my head. I decided to record his intro kind of on a whim. So bear with me. Um, Leashes of Valor is an organization, it's a nonprofit that, that trains service animals to work with, uh, wounded vets. And it, we get more into it in the show and, and you'll, you'll hear explanation of what they do and how they survive and how they raise money and how they train the dogs and. It's about a 40 minute show and it's, it's, it's informative and it kind of opens us up to a world that, uh, I, I don't know much about. So that's a, that was one that's kind of hidden in the archive. And I decided that I well, then decide I kind of let it fall by the wayside and that's on me. And so I just wanted to get it out there for everybody to listen and, and, uh, learn about what they're doing. So anyway, welcome to the new year. Welcome to the first show of the new year and Welcome to the first time I, I kind of ramble a little bit behind the mic in this new year. One of the things that was on my mind this morning was the word change again. Change is always there, you know. Uh, I think change comes along with the first of the year. You know, this this arbitrary, you know, change that we make where we flip the calendar from one year to the next, and it's really from one day, one minute, one second to the next. It's an arbitrary thing because a new year doesn't mean anything. The only thing that, that it means is, is, uh, that calendar starts over, but you as a person, you don't, you don't necessarily start over. You can do that anytime you want. You can make changes any moment of any day. And, uh, when you recognize something that needs to change, just take one step, you know, move forward in a direction or just move. Maybe you go backwards, but what's the, what's the worst? You go backwards and you said that move didn't work. Let's make another move. Take, take consecutive moves and, and, and they, they, they propel you forward a little bit. I'm there, you know, I I'm there. I'm trying to take a move, a move here and a move there, trying to make a couple of, of, uh, modifications and changes and, and start to, to, to find my way into that forward momentum. And I think that scares, it scares me. It scares people in general because change in general is scary. It, uh, we're creatures of habit. And if you're going to tell me you're not a creature of habit, I'm going to, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to call you a liar. Uh, I, I think that it's very convenient to say, oh, I, I, I don't, I don't have, uh, those habits. I don't have those, those patterns. We all have them. I know that you go into the fire department, you go into your job every day or the police or, or military, you go, the best thing about this job is you never know what's going to happen. I call bullshit on that. We know what's going to happen for the most part. We're going to go in. We're going to, we're going to check out our ribs. We're going to get our gear ready. 
we're going to go eat some breakfast or lunch or whatever it is, whatever time it is you do shift change. Uh, we're going to train a little bit. We're going to work out. We're going to run a few calls. You might get lucky, quote unquote, and, and get a fire. Uh, you're probably going to run a bunch of EMS and uh, a lift assist here or there and, and some fire alarms and, you know, whatever your department specializes in. But it's not a lot of change. It's not a lot of... Um, there's not a lot asked of us in our 24 hour days or 48 hour days or 36 hour days, whatever you're, whatever you're doing, you, you, uh, it's a pretty good job. You know, it's a, it's a pretty easy job overall. If you think about it, we, we go to work, we work out, we eat, we train, we do some computer work. We, uh, we interact with each other. We might watch it a little bit of sports on TV and then, um, uh, we call it a day and, and we run whatever calls come our way. You know, in, in those calls, there are challenges, but in, we, we adapt with those calls and we, we process those calls and we, and we move forward again, there's that word moving forward. So change scares us. Change scares me. And I know this year is going to be full of change. Uh, for me, it has to be full of change. I can stop feeling stagnant. And I can start to make that, that movement. And so I'm looking forward to that with, with a bit of reservation and maybe a little dash of trepidation. I'm looking forward to it. And I don't know what that change is going to bring specifically in general. I have a pretty good idea what change is going to bring and, and you guys get to go along for the ride. You get to, to hear me on these intros or, or. When I do a surprise pop-up episode, you know, maybe just me talking, you guys get to, you get to hear it. You get to see it. You get to watch it evolve. You get to watch my success along with my failure. Uh, that's part of the problem, not part of the problem. That's part of the par. That's part of being out there of having a voice and having a platform. I don't want you to think it's all roses because it's not. I, I think that I've been pretty open that, that things have been rough. You know, I, uh, Last year was, last year was not an easy year. Uh, some of that was my own doing. And some of that was, was cancer doing, you know, uh, but I'm, uh, like I said at the beginning, I'm ready to change some of that. I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to, to make some strides. I'm going to take a step backwards once in a while, but I want to focus on the forward momentum. And so I challenge everybody to, to find something to learn, find some, some way to grow find uh, something to mature, you know, learn a new hobby, maybe pick up an old one, take up, take up, I don't don't know, take up a new hobby, find a new interest, learn something. Cause like I've said in the past, if we don't grow, what are, we have to grow. We have to move forward. And I challenge you to find what it is that will force you out of your comfort zone, force you to grow and force you to, to become a different person, a better person, a more complete person. Yeah. For me, that's necessary and that's where I'm headed. And so I guess it's time to kind of buckle up, buckle down and see where I go. I I don't know. It's like I said, there's, there's some trepidation there and Hopefully I'm able to, to, to make my way and 
and kind of blaze a new path or, or a different path for myself. So that being said, you guys get ready for this episode. I believe this is going to be episode 99. I apologize. I, I kind of lose count with the, uh, with the reissues. And then I've got a bunch of shows in the can that I recorded over this winter break that I took some fascinating shows, um, that I can't wait to bring to you. And I, I can't wait to hear the reaction. Um, so, you know, listen to them, share them, reach out to me. Tell me what you think. I heard from a friend's wife the other day about how she's listening to my shows and it blew me away. I was, I was so honored to hear her say that, that I've made an impact on, on her life and their life. And this is somebody that, you know, whether he knows it or not, I, I love this man and he is one of my favorite people in the world. And for his wife to reach out to me and, and give me words of encouragement and to thank me, that meant the world to me. It is, that's, that is, that's more than I could ever ask or expect. So she knows who she is and I thank her very much. And without further ado, you guys enjoy episode 99 with Chris Bowers from Leashes of Valor. Joining us today is Chris Bowers. Chris is the program director for Leashes of Valor. And it's a, I saw this, I saw a, a truck go by me on the road one day. It was a couple months ago now. And I saw what it said and I saw that it had some in, contact information through Instagram and Facebook. And I, I reached out and I wanted to talk to somebody and just touch base with what the program was and, and how people get involved and, and just the history of it all. So Chris was what? Well, Chris was more than happy to come on the show and share some of that with us. And I'm going to do what I normally do for people and ask about his personal history and his journey to what he's doing right now. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Uh, doing good, doing good. All right. You're local in Virginia, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. I was born in Virginia Beach. My father was in the Navy. Once he got out, he started working for the Department of the Navy. And that led us to the Fredericksburg area where I grew up and... And, uh, kind of moved back. I live in Culpeper now, but I moved back to the area in 2017. I've been here ever since. And in person, I, I had no idea. So I apologize. Yeah, <laughs> that, I'm close. I, I live, I live right off of uh, route three outside of the town of Culpeper. Uh, yeah. We're very close then because route three is the exit I take to, to get home. So it's, we're very close. Maybe another time we can, we can meet and talk. Tell me about growing up. You said you're born in Virginia beach. You, your dad was in the Navy. What's, where did you go from, from school? What was school like for you? Did you go to college? Did you go straight to the military? What, what was it like for you? I tried college like everybody else. It just wasn't for me at the time. Listed in the Marine Corps, 2014. Life is a funny way of leading back to where it all started. I was injured in Iraq in 2008. I ended up losing my lower left leg due to nerve damage, limb salvage. Was failed. I spent quite a few years at Walter Reed where I met the founder of Leeches of Valor, Jason Haig. So full circle, Jason and I became great friends. We connected to the game of golf through hunting, our passion for helping our, our service members. Jason and I had incredible opportunities with several different nonprofits while we were rehabbing and it showed us that oh, we need to do more. We need to fill more gaps. That's where Leashes of Valor started for him was his service dog, Axel, who we just recently lost. He gave him the ability to get back out there and live his life and help others and share his story and inspire people. And I think that's where Leashes of Valor came from and in essence was that, that feeling of these 
animals can help more than people realize. And we have to make it more available for those people who need them the most. So that's what Leashes of Valor does. We're a 501c3 national nonprofit that raises service dogs for for injured and disabled veterans that suffer from PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and MST. So I have a couple of questions for you, and and I'm, I'm not going to get into specifics about the injury. And obviously, you said what what you said you, you lost a lower limb. What what is that process like coming back to Walter Reed? Because you said you spent a couple of years there, correct? Yes. So yes, sir. what is that like for, for you guys coming back from there and, and having to spend a couple of years there? So it'd be way worse if we weren't all together. Obviously there's, I believe that everything is fluid. It doesn't really matter on circumstance. Pain is pain. Experiences are experiences. And those feelings, those emotions, they're all, they're all relative. You know, what I experienced in the hospital, you PT every day with everybody. You're constantly with guys that are going through the same thing you're going through. The experience of being in that environment, like you really can't feel sorry for yourself because you're constantly reminded that there's other people dealing with worse things. Like one of my best friends is a bilateral above knee amputee. And he, the things he does, like he plays golf on his prosthetics, the things he does inspires me. That's where my niche, I found my niche in this programming is creating events that fundraise for the mission, but that also provides opportunities for these guys to get out and golf, to play disc golf, to kayak, to fish, to, to be in the outdoors with their families. Our outdoors program does serve first responders and their families as well as veterans and their families. We try to fill as many gaps as we can. What are the, I, the um, recovery process and in, in the stay at Walter Reed, to me, is a foreign thing because I, w- I was never involved in it, obviously. Is that all wraparound services up there? And it, is it all military? Do they have some civilian entities coming in and working with these guys? Or, or how is that programmed up there? When I was there, we were at the old Walter Reed down there in actual D.C. Instead That's of Bethesda. The, Bethesda is where, yeah. where it is now, correct? So correct. The Marines, so back at that time, the Marines, any type of like serious injury that went over to the Walter Reed unit. And we were there until it went back to the new Walter Reed, which is at Bethesda. But like, it, it's tough for us because we always knew it was Bethesda Naval. And now it's Walter Reed National Medical Center, I think. So like, it's incredible the facility that they built versus what they had back then. It, the process, they, they have teams like literal teams of wound care teams of like just rehab ot pt prosthetics walking labs it it, and then you have the actual military physical therapists rehab specialists i mean it did yeah it was just droves of people medical just i don't think I think there were doctors upon doctors upon doctors. It was, it was incredible the amount of resources they threw at that during that time. And so you spend a couple of years up there. You meet Jason up there and these thoughts and these ideas come to him and, and to you. Obviously, you figure there's a spot here to give back, correct? Correct. I went into sports. I went into golf. That was where I found my home. Golf's taken me all over the world. It's, it's incredible to see how much golf can impact anything. Just the fundraising aspects of it. You can, everybody can have a good time being outside playing golf. And we've really found that 
if we can provide that opportunity, like these veterans, these, these people that are struggling, they'll come out just to play with some puppies or just to play some golf or to be entered back into the community, re-engage. That's what we're looking for is to provide you know, re-engagement opportunities where these, these people that are struggling can come out. And so the dogs that you train, um, and I want to get a little bit later on, we'll get into that process of the training a little bit. Jumping around. Yeah, no, that's fine. And, and like, I, I'll caution the audience. This is the first time you and I have spoken at all. So we're truly just going on the fly here today. So bear with us. We're going to get this story out. You're not just, you're not doing just PTSD. It's a traumatic brain injury as well. Are you doing service dogs for physical disabilities as well? Yes, of course. So we've. The way we raise our service dogs is we, it's an 18 month process of training them for like general purpose, emotional, physical reinforcement, if necessary. People who have anxiety disorders, they tap their foot or something like we can train the dog to put their head on their lap to get them to take the attention off of what's bothering them. There's different ways. I don't get into the canine side of this house. We have a team of trainers that train our dogs. Like we just took possession of six 12 week old puppies, golden retrievers that we're going to train up. If you're close, our facility is right down on old plank road off of route three. Yeah. So that's I, very I, close. I, I, yeah. I could take you down and show you the whole thing. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. And if we can work out a time, I would love to do that and, and see some of that and talk to some people. Sure. Absolutely. Going back to what you were asking, but we normally. Our dogs are for emotional support and stability. For physical things, you're talking about a bigger breed of a dog, right? If you need it for stability and stuff like that, we normally do golden retrievers and labs and probably look at a bigger breed for those cases, but we're not like, we're not directly involved in like mobility assistance. We're more on the, the psychological side of the house. And that answers the question perfectly because I just wasn't sure and I wanted to clear it up. So you do the, you focus on fundraising through, through like you mentioned, golf and outings and, and, and such. Yes, correct? sir. Yes, so, sir. My goal is, is to provide the funds for the dog program and to provide opportunities for veterans and first responders. All right. So you guys, you get, you just said you got a, a litter of puppies and it's going to be 18 months that they're going to train up to, to work with veterans. Yes, sir. What is the process for the veteran then coming into this situation? Do they reach out to you? Do you reach, do you find them by outreach to places like Walter Reed or, or what are you doing? How does that, how is that handled? Yes. Yeah, so we have an application process. Um, we try to forward everybody to our website. We have a incredible website that has all of our resources on it. All the stories, like you can follow the journeys of our dogs, the warriors that they, that we've teamed them with. One of our biggest impact statements we have is one leash saves two lives. And that goes back to our nature of, we love to adopt dogs. Like we love to go find those dogs, just billion dogs on this planet and they need good homes. And any dog we feel that uh, has the temperament for it can be trained to change somebody's life. That leash can change a service member's life and it can also change that dog's life. And we've noticed that these dogs just, Brave 
working. They love putting that vest on. They love going out and serving. And then at the end of the day, you take the vest off and you have the best pet ever. So that, and that's a good question too, because you, I've always wondered that at what point do these dogs get that chance to be a pet? So we train them just, just like they're working when they're under vest, like they have the mentality of being spot on being an asset for that veteran. And when you take the vest off to them, they're not working. So there's your dog again, but they crave working. It's just bird dogs and, you know, police dogs. Like when they're working, they're seriously engaged, but you also have to let them just be dogs let them run around and play. So is there, so th there's no real schedule, then it's just that they know if that vest is on, it's, it's all business. Right. So when we're in the training process, like obviously our, our traders could explain this better, but I know when we're training them up that the affection, all that stuff, when you vest on, it's serious time. When we take the vest off, then we can be silly and run around, but it's just conditioning the dog to know when, you know, it's playtime and when it's serious time. So at what point is a veteran introduced to the dog? So once they go through the application process and they've spoken to our veteran coordinator and we have a whole team of awesome, incredibly talented ladies that, that do most of our admin and most of our follow-up applications. And we get the veteran to come to our facility for a 10 day course, which we are basically teaching them how to handle the dog. Like at that point, after that 18 month to two year training of the animals complete, we bring the veteran to us to teach them how to use and operate that dog so that that dog bonds with that particular warrior. So that that canine team has 10 days to learn each other's routines. So when they leave, they're leaving with successful skills together that they can build on once they get home. And so in those 10 days, they live and they train with you. Yes, sir. They learn how to, for quote unquote, control the dog or, or work with the dog. Yes, sir. We teach them how to, we teach. So the dog knows what to do. We have to teach them how to communicate with the dog to get the dog to do what they need them to do. And you, that makes sense. It does. It does because like, the dogs spent eight, 18 months training mm -hmm. and now, so we, now you're trying so, to train a human in 10 days, which in 10 days, right? So we take them out in public. We'll take them to the mall down in Fredericksburg. We'll take them to Lowe's, Home Depot, Costco, like just normal things like they, these dogs have been around some of our fosters work at the local schools so they've been around kids they've been around the bus noises the trash can like the, the trash trucks that the things that, that bring up anxiety like the dog is going to remain calm so it's almost reassuring the veteran that you can go to these places and this dog is going to be just ready for you yeah, so we do a lot of, of walkthrough over those 10 days of, of like teaching that veteran how to handle the dog. I imagine for these veterans coming back that, that there, there are some very specific triggers that they're going to have that from their PTSD and their anxiety or the, or, or the TBI. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm assuming it's things like noises and, and lights and smells, maybe even the dog can sense that, the, that there's that anxiety. And you, like you said, 
if they're sitting down, they might put their head in their lap, but what you're out in public, what does that dog do at that point? Like I said, I'm not one of the trainers, but what I've seen is the dog will brush up against the leg, try to gain the attention back to him because that dog is going to be trained, always be looking up, looking up at its handler, waiting for commands. And if the handler's not making eye contact, the dog's going to make the handler have eye contact, pulling the leash going for the hand, anything to distract, pull them away from what they're experiencing. Yeah. So it's almost like, and I should have prefaced our conversation before we even started that my background was, is with human behavior. I've been a firefighter for 10 years, but before that I worked with kids and families with, with experiencing autism. And so I was a behavior specialist and an applied behavior analysis. So I, I would see that as almost just, it's an interrupter of that behavior. The dog is there to interrupt and, and redirect. Yes. Yes. Pet me instead of having, trying to pull you out of that panic or out of that anxiety. It's, I think they're called triggers. Like once that, once the dog feels that, and I, as an amputee, it's really good. I practice, I, I'll help them out. Like I'll tap my foot. The dog will lay its head on my foot to try to get me to stop tapping it. If that makes sense. No, like it, I, I really can't get into the psychology if it's out of my lane, but that's what I've seen. No, it, it does. It makes total sense. It's, I just want, I just wasn't sure of what actions the dog, the dogs were or were not trained to, to take. And if there was anything specific, or is that something that comes with time when the dog works with the veteran and the veteran works with the dog and they get to know each other? Correct. I. I think the molding process does a lot. If a guy has night terrors, obviously you can't train that. If a guy has night terrors and that dog just maybe puts her head on his leg when he's sleeping and that pulls him out of it or tries to snuggle up to him to get him to, to come out of it. Like we, these dogs are so loving and the amount of love that's put into them throughout these 18 months through the foster, through our trainers, through the staff. And the families that are involved in Leashes of Valor, like all that love is going to eventually lead somewhere and it leads to that veteran. You talk about that bonding, our canine teams are, it's incredible how quick they bond and how like tight that bond is. And we have testimonials all over. Yeah, we just lost Chris. We'll get him back on the air real quick here. That's, that's unfortunate. Hold on one second. Recent. Oh. Hello, you reached your voice. I don't know why that dropped. I, I have no idea. I, I'm, I'm not moving around. I didn't think you were, so I don't know why it would have no. dropped. It's all right. Sorry, man. Like I said, we get to edit everything. <laughs> awesome. I, it was funny because I was talking to, the, I was, I said, like, well, and the call dropped and I was kept talking and I was like, why am I talking? I don't need to talk. Yeah. Or was I? I'm sorry. I, you I, know uh, what? I don't know where you were on that one because <laughs> it took me completely by, by surprise. We'll figure that out. Go ahead. Talking about how they bond. Yes. Um, yes. I, I, all the all the love that's put into them through our family, through our leashes family, it's, uh, it all comes out into that veteran. I, I, I'm up to date with a lot of these veteran teams. My parents have fostered to watch them 
to watch these vets change after they get their dogs. It's incredible. It really is. The website, we have testimonials. And some of them are going to baseball games and going out to to dinner and stuff again. Like, it's crazy. The confidence that they're getting from having a sport animal, having a service dog. So let's get into your, to your wheelhouse, so to speak. 18 months. First of all, you had to find the dogs. You had to, mm-hmm. you had to reach out, we'll use the word source the dogs. You have to source the dogs. Correct. You have to train the dogs. You, so that means you have mm-hmm. an entire staff that's training the dogs. You have entire clerical and, and whatever support staff. You have you who's doing 12 the, employees. So you have 12 employees and then you have a 10 day program where the vets are coming to, to, to live there for an intensive training. Correct. Yes, sir. And then you have follow-up trainings and follow-up support, I imagine. Yeah. So we provide support of the lifetime of the animal. Any doctor bills, their medications, the food while they're being trained, everything. Like we, we take, we pay for everything. We give, we're giving them an asset at no cost, basically. That's what I was going to try. There's no cost to them, correct? There's no cost to them. They've, they've done enough. So they paid, they've paid dearly for this country and we refuse to give them something that it's like a car payment. Like we refuse to do that. So we provide, like I said, everything for the life of the animal and we make sure that they're taken care of. We make sure that all the work that we've put into them, the dogs are maintained, they're reassessed over a certain period of time to make sure they haven't lost a step that they're still continuing to learn and train. So from from that first day that you find a dog to the day that we'll, we'll just cap it at the day that the, the veteran goes home with the dog. What's the cost per dog? It's around 25,000. Okay. And you said you, you just received how many new puppies? Six. So that's a chunk of change. Yeah. This litter is unique. It's actually two litters. We, we were lucky enough to have contacts in the community and there was a situation in Orange County where. There's 27 dogs under the age of 13 weeks. The owners elderly couldn't deal with it. We went and assessed and we, t- we rescued six. That's what we thought we could handle. <laughs> six, 12 week old golden retriever puppies is a mess, but I can only imagine, but we look at it as it's an opportunity. Like I said, we changed facilities. We have a brand new facility on, on old plank road and it's designed to be like a puppy boot camp where the dogs will stay there. They'll train together. Like the facility can be self-maintained where we don't have to be running around all over the place and burning resources. That way we could do everything in house. And I loved it. Yeah. If you have time to come check it out and see what we're doing, it's, we're trying to make it a more streamlined process where we can provide these dogs without jeopardizing our quality of the quantity. So when you say $25,000 per dog and you just get six, six dogs, we can all do the math. We know what that's going to equal up to. Then you, obviously you're fundraising all through the year. You're not waiting for a dog to come along and say, okay, now we need to raise money because your job is to have that money ready when the dog comes and to have everything funded. So year round, what are you guys doing? Yeah, I know you said the golf outings. What else are you guys doing to raise money? Hey guys, quick break right here just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount and I appreciate all of you. I have one request though. 
I need you to share the show with everyone you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. This is what I really want to hear about because I know that we can get people to donate as well. And I'm sure you have right. that option. Yeah. We, so we, we survived primarily on corporate and personal donations and monthly donations. When we do events, some people donate. Our chief fundraiser is the Valor Cup. And the Valor Cup is a two day golf tournament where a team of veterans plays against a team of sponsors and host club country members. Um, we've made it competitive to where the country club has tournaments throughout their year to select their team. The sponsors, obviously with the sponsorships of the event, they have their spots to play. And then we do three qualifiers through the South trying to qualify between two and 300 guys for a 12 man team to play against them. So our chief fundraiser, obviously we have sponsor decks. There's a ton of different sponsorship opportunities for the Valor Cup, but we also have the road to the Valor Cup, which is our qualifiers, our, our outreach, our fundraising tournaments, things like that, where a, cor a corporate donation could lead to signage throughout the entire thing all over, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. So it, my job is to actively fundraise. So I've built these programs out to where an annual sponsorship costs this much and this is what you get for it. And we have all the sponsor text built out. We can, we can provide you with all that information. We do, uh, basically all of our fundraising is through our website. I know that they run specials, especially through the major holidays where a donation can get you a nice stuffed animal present or adopt a dog. It's. We're always actively looking, you know, for, for those next opportunities to partner and to fundraise. What kind of, I mean, I got stuck there for a second. See, this is why I, I able to edit. Cause I, sometimes I get hung up on my words. Uh, I apologize. I worked last night. I'm tired. I, I got off at six this morning, so I'm, I'm, I'm tired. It's and then of, work tomorrow. The, so day three is tomorrow. So it's been a long week already. I can just keep running my mouth. One of the. The biggest things we're doing right now is the renovation of the property we just bought. There's a ton of different sponsorship opportunities there to, you know, buy a room, donate uh, a bedroom set for one of the veterans to stay in, donate a couch, donate kitchen appliances. We, we needed to be closer to our community because our facility used to be out in Caroline County and it was just too far away. Yeah, that becomes I mean, a little prohibitive for people who, with first of all, with some disabilities, yeah, with limited limited access to resources, maybe. Yeah, that that does become a bit cumbersome for the vets, huh? It's forty five minutes one way. Now it's ten minutes. We do take veterans from all over the country. It's not just a local Virginia guys. So being able to fly them in, house them, it, it's all. You know, as program director, like I have to look at everything as a dollar bill. And if I can save on housing, just hotels, rental cars, like we have branded vehicles. You've seen a couple of them. Those are all personally owned vehicles that we've branded just to spread the word. And they're, they're your vehicles or those volunteers driving those vehicles around? No, those are personally owned vehicles that we branded just to, to help our cause. And 
Yeah, I wish we were bigger. And like, I think that's where this push is going is if we get this new facility and we've got this new group of dogs, we're, we're moving in that right direction, that positive direction of growth, and we're going to be able to help more people along the way. Yeah, no, it definitely with that facility, it sounds like it, it opens a door to a lot. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. obviously getting six dogs at once opens a door to a lot. You're going to affect, well, as you say, there's 12 lives you're going to affect with those six dogs, correct? Yes. Well, and more than that, because of the interaction with these veterans and their families and their friends, and they, they can start to, I hate the term normal, but normalize some of those relationships and those outings and those, and, and the day-to-day -day life. Correct. When, when a vet comes to you guys. Do you have, do you have mental health professionals on staff or is this, or they refer to you from outside professionals? From their outside professional. We ask that they have a diagnosis of PTSD or traumatic brain injury or MST, but we do have a clinical social worker on staff, but we don't have, our lean is we want to provide them with a service out. Like we, we don't want to get into therapy or anything like that. Like the therapy itself is the bonding with the dog, us. So like legally, they really can't get in that lane unless we had a like therapist or a psychologist or something like that. But we do have resources. So we do have a, like I said, a clinical social worker who can direct resources for us. And there's a acronym that you've slid in a couple of times and it's MST. And I don't know if, I don't know if my audience is going to be familiar with MST is what it is. And, and I'm not, I wasn't really familiar with it either. I don't, do, can you go into that just a little bit, not the sure. science MST. of it, but what it is and how, maybe how prevalent it is. Uh, so MST refers to military sexual trauma. And I think I think it's more prevalent than we realize or reported. That's something that we graduated a sixth female, like a, the first ever female only class a few years ago, um, all MST survivors. And it's, uh, it's one of those things that we're proud to get into this side of it, but we're just, we're trying to fill gaps where we see them and we I've, I've, I feel like it, everyone deserves the opportunity to have one of these dogs. And that's where we're open and we're open to it. Like I said, we're moving into first responders as well. Where there's a need, we're going to fill it. How has that moved to first responders? Like, is that something that's current or is that planned? So that's planned. Like I said, our outdoors and our golf and all of our things are open to first responders. We are noticing that the trauma. Like I said, it's all relative. So the trauma that you're experiencing here at home, it's like the same feeling, just different, I guess, localities. It's the same things that our veterans are dealing with. And that's what we've been realizing the last couple of years is that our first responders, like we always worked with NYPD when we were up doing stuff to Steven Stiller, Tunnels of Towers, and we were doing rehab stuff. We never really put it together that we're all suffering the same way. Like we can help each other because we're, it's all the same community. It's those who choose to serve. It's funny you say that because one of my taglines for the show is, and I don't use it enough. I should use it more is that your trauma is unique, but your story is universal. And it's what you're just saying. Trauma hits us all differently, 
but we can share how it hit us and how we recovered and, and what we're doing now to recover from it. And that's what, the, that's what the universality of this, that universal aspect is. It's, uh, is that we're all doing this. We've all experienced something in these lines of work and the degrees don't really matter. It's how it affects you as on a day-to-day basis. I agree. So it's, it's, it, I, so I guess that was just, I'd like to hear, I like that you said that because it's true. It's, it, it, we are all experiencing something, whether it's from service time in Iraq, Afghanistan, or it's from witnessing someone, witnessing an infant die in front of you and, and not being able to save its life. Their, their traumas are there and it affects us all somehow. A hundred percent. And the aftermath of that, I think could be sometimes a spiral, sometimes the having the courage to go to therapy and then sticking with it and seeing a result or maybe having to change providers like it. And then we all struggle the same trying to find answers, but they're out there. Yeah, and that's the purpose of the show is to show people you're not alone. Yeah, we all have some degree of this. We've all experienced some stuff. And like you said, whether it's a cop, a firefighter, a medic, uh, a, a trauma doctor, a nurse, veterans, active duty, we're all seeing stuff that really you're not supposed to see and, and your brain doesn't want to have to deal with it. And so in it together and, and our survival is linked together as well. I. Uh- yeah, I I was touched by a hundred people, at least, uh, from in Medivac, from Green Village, all the way to Launch Tool, all the way back to the U.S. I've never met before, cared for me, like I was their own the whole way back, and continued to care for me years after. I'll never be able to thank them. I'll never, I don't even remember their faces, to be honest with you, but it, yeah, service. Like they don't know me and they did all that for me. Uh, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what they go through when, like you said, you lose one. There's nothing you can do. It's the weight. But over time, I believe that weight can be lessened. Oh, it can definitely be lessened and you can learn from it and others can learn from it. And and that's my goal completely is, is to, is to bring that information to people and let people know they're not alone and. That's exactly what your program is doing is, is letting these veterans know they're not alone and, and there's some support and, and here's, here's a very physical piece of support for you. Yeah. I love how you just said that you're not alone. And that's, that's what this facility is going to be about. And like, when you say you're not alone, I I think of Axel and Jason, our founder, like we just lost Axel at, he was 13 years old. He saved Jason's life and. I'm lucky because he gave me my friend back, brought him out of his basement, built him up in Jason's tour. The things that he does now, he continues to serve. He's a, he was a captain in the United States Marine Corps and he's still leading. And he, that service never ends. Like say you're not alone. Like we want this facility. If you want to volunteer, if you want to get involved, like you can come. We need people to cuddle these dogs. Like we need people to help us. We need to. We want to be more engaged in the community. Like you don't, if you're up in the air about getting a dog, become a foster. See if it's something that's, that's out there. I think with any type of change, like you have to be willing to try. And that's, 
especially in the, the veteran first responder community, you have to be willing to try either go to therapy or talk about it or try new things. Like you have the willingness to want to try. It's just getting people to take that step. So I love how you say you're not alone because I feel the same way. Like not alone. There's a lot of good people that want to help and we want everyone involved. Like our family is only as strong as we can make it. So how, do, how does one volunteer? Like, like I said, through our, through our website. The leashesofvalor.org, correct? Leashesofvalor.org. Yes, sir. You can go through our website. You can, you can click the volunteer, you can click the foster. It'll shoot you to one of our really talented young ladies that, that work on our team that, that can answer any and all questions you may have about any aspect of what we do. Our financials are readily available upon request. Everything we have is an open book. And I warned you about this before we start recording that I have two questions I like to ask every guest. And uh, I took you off guard because as I mentioned in the middle of the show, we haven't even spoken until this morning. So I apologize for, for taking you off guard, but I like to ask everybody about an everyday carry. And the reason I do that is I stole this title of the show. There's a book out there by an author named Tim O'Brien, and it's based in Vietnam. And his book is called The Things They Carried. And the purpose of that book, and just to paraphrase it, is that this platoon in Vietnam, they would carry things into war, as you're well aware of. You carry your weapon or you carry a radio or an aid bag or whatever. You carry that into war and or into a battle. And then something happens or you ha actually have contact in a battle and you come out you're obviously coming out with something more than what you carried in. And that's more of that emotional stuff. The traumas, the, the, the experiences, they stay with you. They stick in your soul for, for life, basically. And so from that book, I stole the title of, of my show for the things we all carry. And I like to ask everybody about an everyday carry that you have, something that you might have on your person. And if you don't have it, you feel naked without. Yeah, I don't really carry anything with me, like actual, like a physical object. Do you have your own dog? Yeah, I've, I have three dogs. I have, I had a service dog. He's 14 now. He's slowing down. He's been retired for four years. Basically how Jason and I became friends was where we had to take our dogs out to go to the bathroom as a vet. And that's where we met. Our dogs are best friends. So they both just got older and they got us to where we needed to be in life. So like things I carry is for me, no matter what I do, no matter how I try to do things, like I just keep losing people. I just keep losing friends. I just, I lost Bradley Pierce in January. Um, Silver Star recipient, Marine, really good kid, played on my golf team. So the other question I like to ask, is about a book or person or a speech or music or movie, something that's going to add value to the audience life. Is there anything like that you'd like to suggest for the audience? I'm not a big reader. I like stories. I like hearing people's stories. I, I don't read, I don't read a lot of books, but I listen a lot. I'm lucky. I'm fortunate. I get to meet a lot of these veterans and hear their stories and learn about their families. I think we got an easy way to fix that actually, because on your website under newsroom, one of the, one of the subheadings under newsroom is warrior stories, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We have, uh, 
we have a lot of different of our warriors that have sat down and shared their stories and shared the impact that their dogs have had on their lives. Check that out. This speaks for itself. If you, if I'm looking at the first page of stories right now and I'm not going to, the names are on there so people can go to it and they can find out the names. But I like some of these quotes that are under the, or they are extrapolated from the article. And it's like the first one says, I didn't feel like I deserved to be alive. I don't know how many times I've heard that said by the people on my show, let alone the veterans that, that I haven't even spoken to. There is, I'm looking forward to everyday life again. Fear won't rule me anymore. A glowing light during times of pitch black. These are all things that would resonate with my audience. And uh, I think that's a great spot to, to, to go to and learn some of the stories of these vets and learn some of the stories of the dogs and then either donate or volunteer. Absolutely. We're very lucky to be able to do what we do. And it's all in an effort to help. And we want to, all we want to do is make people's lives better. And it, that's from the veteran that's getting the dogs to all the way up to our employees. We're here to make this world a little bit brighter. Maybe with just a little bit of luck. I think that's perfect right there. I am. Um, that's a good way to end it. I would love to get a chance to come out and visit you guys and see the facility and, and check it out a little bit. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other. <laughs>